0: Right. Oh, sorry, I also forgot to introduce myself before, um, so there must be a couple of visitors here. My name's Darren, um, uh, I was pretty remiss of me to not say that. Um, let's, uh, let's just spend a few minutes in, in prayer and, uh, and then we'll, we'll uh, consider God's word. Father, we uh, we want to give you all the glory and praise for this day. We thank you for the sunshine, for the for the the uh, demonstration of new life that we see all of all around us during spring, and uh, the reminder of how good you are to us that we see in that. And Lord. Uh, we thank you for our pastors, for David and for Matt. We thank you for their families. We thank you that uh, that uh, they lead us so well uh, and uh, guide us uh, and point us towards you every day. Father, we just ask that as they are both away with their families, that they will have a time of, of relaxation and re-energising. And, uh, re-energizing. and uh, Lord, we just... Uh, we ask that you'd give them safety on the, in their travels as they as they move around, and that they will return to us safely. We also uh, lift up all of our church family who are currently away on holidays, um, as they are also on the roads. We just ask for safety for them, and uh, and uh, we ask that wherever they might be today, if they are walking into a church somewhere else, that they will be a blessing to that church. That uh, that your wider family uh, will will have that uh, have. That unity that uh, that you long for us to have, Father, we uh, we lift up the, the things that are happening around our church at the moment. We particularly want to want to place before you uh, the merge with uh, with Aubrey Baptist, Father. We believe that this is uh, this is Your doing, and Father, we are excited. Uh, we're nervous. We are, we are anticipating what you will do in that space. Lord, we just ask that you would be blessing the Albury Church today, that, uh, that as we think about joining together, that, uh, that these two churches will be once again a symbol of unity in this community and that you will lead us on to greater things uh, in the power of your spirit. Father, we... are. Uh, we thank you for the different congregations of this church that, that we currently have for this, for us here this morning, for our night service, for our for our, our uh, Swahili service in the afternoon, and also for our, our our community that gathers on a Thursday night. Lord, we just ask that uh, that you would continue to grow each, grow us, that we would be a blessing to this community, and uh, and really demonstrate your love, Father. We. Uh, as we approach your word this morning, we just ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds to what you would have to say to us and that that uh, you would reveal something new that we've never seen before. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can probably work out, this, more, this service might be fairly short. That was partly by design, but... Uh, we might be extra short um, it was by design because we knew that there would be some kids in, in this morning. Um, so we didn't want to drag things out too much. But I still hope we'll find some real truth in God's word today. Sorry, I'm going to have to reposition things a bit up here because the lights are meaning that I can't actually see anything. Okay. Um, Look, the question I asked you earlier, uh, do you keep your Vegemite in the pantry or the fridge? Uh, It might seem a bit of a silly question, um, but this is a question which caused quite a bit of consternation at my work. Um, During the time when we were split into two teams during COVID, we started this daily morning meeting on Skype, and it was a chance for us to catch up uh to solve problems to check that all the work was actually on track and hand over work from the people that were now at home to the people who were now in the office and and what we found with these brief uh these brief meetings each morning was that it uh it was not only helpful during the work restrictions but we kept them going ever since You see, my team is often scattered all over the state of New South Wales, in Albury, Wagga, Dubbo, Parramatta, and also up at Newcastle. And while the business side of these huddle meetings is important, we found that also the social discussion was also great for the team. And as a way of initiating those uh, discussions, we instituted this thing called Which One Wednesdays? Um, Every Wednesday, somebody takes turns in posing a question, like uh, the one I did the other day was, when you go to the pool, uh, do you dip your toe toe in the water and check the temperature, or are you a jump-straight-in type person? Um, Or it might be, do you make your bed each day, or something like that. Um, they, they're silly questions, I know, but they have, they're a way of us having some fun in them, you know, and also getting people to relax and talk. And while the veggie mite question um, almost started a riot, um, <laughs> Generally, we have found that we usually actually agree, um, despite us, uh, ha- our team having come from all over the country um, with different beliefs and different upbringings. And you know what? Um, that probably shouldn't be that much of a surprise. Geographically, Australia is a huge country but we speak the same language right, right across the country and we have very little difference in accent or vocabulary. We have almost identical laws from state to state and culturally, we're almost, we almost universally hold the same, same values. Um, back, in, uh, back in the 1980s, uh, there was a guy, Named, whoop, uh, named Mel Garvin, and he wrote this book called Us Aussies. Interesting little book if you can get your hands on it. In, in which, uh, in this book, he suggested that the reason uh, that we have such a strong cultural identity actually stems right back to European settlement. While the English settlers, the constabulary, and uh, the convicts, they all still called the UK home, The first generation of kids, the children of the soldiers and the convicts, um, only knew Australia and they called this place home. Mel says that these kids would rebel against the British authorities. Um, They would value character above breeding and they hated the unfair treatment dished out by the troopers. He says these kids would they are often called currency kids because the locals and the troopers thought they really weren't worth anything and they would go on to, be, to found uh, the principles and the culture of our country. It's, and it's this culture of fairness and valuing, of, uh, valuing people for their contribution which Mel says has made us one of the most egalitarian countries on the planet. In general terms, we we seek uh, we we see everybody as equal. Everyone deserves a fair go, don't they? Um, Australia doesn't have a strong sense of class structure, like many other countries. We uh, we we love it when the underdog wins. You might remember, you know, the case of Stephen Bradbury winning a gold medal from last place. You know. Um, and we get uncomfortable, not with actually success itself, but those who big note their success. We, we call that the, that tall poppy syndrome. Um, we want everything to be fair. You should get what you deserve. We, we value payment for effort, and we don't like it when people position themselves uh, for their own benefit. And on the other hand, We also don't like it when people don't contribute. We label them things like dull bludges. And I think it's this egalitarian fairness thing in us that makes today's parable from Matthew chapter 20 so irksome and hard for us to swallow. It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Um, if you have your Bible, you'll probably want to look it up. Um, let's quickly read it, uh, Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16, and then we'll take some time to understand it. And this parable says For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard, he agreed to pay them a denarius. For the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around and he asked them why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing because no one has hired us they answered and he said to them you also go and work in my vineyard when evening came the owner of the vineyard said to his to his foreman call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first came for payment, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the ones who are hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. As I said, um, this parable along with the shrewd manager that David looked at only a few weeks ago is probably one of the most troubling stories that Jesus tells it really seems unfair but i've also but i've also have to say it is probably one of the most misunderstood because the, because we don't usually look at this parable in its context and that context is both the context coming in and the context going out of this parable. You see, Jesus told this parable on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He's travelling down the Jordan River and he's literally packing in a whole lot of last minute, last chance teaching with his disciples and his followers. If you were to flip back a couple of pages, you'll see that he's repeatedly talking about the kingdom of heaven. He says in chapter 18, 23, the kingdom of heaven is like. And again in chapter 19, verse 14, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He talks to the rich young man and exposes the guy's heart and love for earthly things. And then Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say it's impossible, mind you. In fact, just within one or two days, he has his encounter in Jericho with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, whose heart is transformed. And then uh, in Matthew 20, 19, 29, Jesus talks about uh, those who will forsake all else, family, home, just to follow him, they will receive a hundred times more and inherit eternal life in that kingdom. And then that strange verse in verse 30, but, the, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And then we come to our first verse of our parable, chapter 20, verse 1. And it says, for the kingdom of heaven is like... It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men for his vineyard. Okay, um, we already actually have a problem here. It's lost a little bit in the translation, but it wouldn't have slipped past the disciples at the time. This can't be any ordinary farmer. As we see from the story, he can afford plenty of workers. He even has a vineyard foreman. He must already have staff. And what is the landowner doing up so early in the morning? Why is he doing the legwork himself? Surely finding workers is the job of a foreman. Culturally... This makes no sense. This word for landowner is probably more accurately uh, in line with our gentleman farmer. The day-to-day business of the work would have been done by the foreman. Anyway, the story goes on. He's gone to the marketplace where he meets men uh, where, sorry, he's gone to the marketplace where men would actually uh, stand around waiting to try to pick up labouring work for the day. Some guys might turn up with their tools of trade, but most were just looking for a job doing whatever was required. And the marketplace is the normal place to find these types of workers in, at that time. And a denarius is considered a standard days payment for a, for a day of labor. In fact, the denarius is also the standard day's pay for a Roman foot soldier. It's enough to live on um, and to feed your family for about one day. You know, it Makes me think of, of Jesus' prayer, give us this day our daily bread. You know. um, it's enough to get by. And these first men go out to work at a fair rate for a regular 12-hour day. About three hours later, the landowner goes out again and he sees some men. They're standing around, doing nothing. He gives them a job in his vineyard too. He offers to pay them whatever is right. He does the same thing at midday, and at three in the afternoon, and then also at 5 p.m. And that would mean I would imagine that by the time those guys that that were hired at 5 p.m. got from the market out to his vineyard, they probably barely had time to get their hands dirty before it was tools down. So a couple of things pop up in this story. Um, First, you might want to notice that at no time does Jesus say that the landowner needed any of these extra workers. He doesn't check in with his foreman to see if they need more people. In fact, it, is, it only says that the landowner saw the men standing around in the marketplace doing nothing. There's actually no implication that these men are lazy. They weren't sitting around on their iPhones. Um, They weren't, they were standing, they weren't sitting. Um, They were wanting to work, but nobody had hired them. So we can't assume that their lack of work is actually their fault. They'd been trying to find work all day. The second thing that I note is that Jesus offers to pay the later workers whatever is right but the Hebrew word there that most of our Bibles translate as right is also translated as righteous the landowner offers uh, is also agreeing to pay them whatever is righteous now that puts a completely different spin on this story the payment itself is not righteous the one doing the paying is righteous. This is not a story sto- sorry this is a story that's not really about the workers, it's about the landowner. And remember it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who? We're meant to be taking notice of the landowner, not the work and not the workers. So, what is it that this landowner has done here? Well, we keep going, uh, keep going out. Well, he keeps going out and employing more people. Right up to the end of the very end of the day, he is seeking, um, seeking new workers. This is a little bit reminiscent of uh, you know the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, really. Um, He's looking for willing workers, workers who have faithfully been watching and waiting. The landowner could have just given these last few men charity, couldn't he? And sent them home to their families. But instead, the landowner gives them the dignity of a job So in essence, this is a story about grace and generosity of that landowner. The landowner who employed all who were willing, he's paying them all the same for their willingness and not for the work they have done. He pays them according to their need, not their deed. But in verse 11, the first workers who started at six in the morning and had worked hard all day, no doubt, um, they'd watched the afternoon guys get a full day's pay and probably thought, cool, we're about to score big time. So they grumble when they get exactly what they agreed to. We've sweated through the day, you know. um, We deserve more. You can see that complaint in verse 12. You've made them equal to us. And the landowner's response tells it all. He says, I'm not being unfair. I'm being generous. This is a story of God's grace to us all. It helps us understand... The first principle of what I'll, for want of a better term, call the economy of the kingdom of God. It's an economy of grace and of generosity to all who are willing. You know, the woman at the well who pretty much becomes one of the first missionaries and brings a whole town to meet Jesus receives the same grace as the thief on the cross who is dying and with his last breath recognises his need for forgiveness. It's not an economy built on effort. You might remember that I mentioned that this parable was told when Jesus was literally on his way to the cross. In the rest of this chapter, Jesus speaks again of his impending death and the cost that he will bear, so that we will receive grace. But his disciples and, the fo- and those following Jesus, they still actually don't get it. Soon after our parable, uh, the mother of James and John comes to Jesus trying to position her sons in a place of power in Jesus' kingdom. It's in chapter 20, verse 21. He, he, she wants them to sit at the right and left of his throne. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And when the other, others heard, other disciples heard about James and John's power play, those other 10 disciples became indignant with the two brothers, which is not really surprising, is it? I mean, nobody likes to be undermined or manipulated, do they? But what stands out here is that the disciples still don't understand the economy of the kingdom. Jesus is forced to call a team meeting to explain it again. Have a look at chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, Instead, whoever wants to become greatest amongst you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So um, here we see for the third time in less than a page... That same theme. Verse 1930 but many, uh, sorry, chapter 1930 says, the many who are first will be last, the last will be, will be first. Chapter 20, 2016, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And here in 2026, whoever wants to be greatest amongst you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave and then we see Jesus ultimate example the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many the disciples in this story and i suppose us also we are falling for the same trap of expecting the kingdom of god to be built on our sense of fairness and not on Christ's generosity, that economy of grace. It's not something that we can earn so that no one can boast. I, I realise that right through the Bible, there are references to us receiving rewards in the kingdom of God. You know, Second Timothy 4, James uh, 1... Hold a couple of examples of those promises, but when, what we often overlook in those passages is that glorious crown. That is actually a crown of righteousness, a crown of life. It's not our, not of our doing. It's a gift from Christ. One of my other favourite pictures in the Bible is found in Revelation chapter 4, uh, verse 10. It's a picture of the throne room of God, the kingdom of God. And the 24 elders are seated closest to, to Jesus' throne. They are around his throne. And what do they do? These 24 elders... Throw themselves on the ground and cast their crowns, their crowns of righteousness, before him in worship. And we will also be overcome by his grace and his majesty and be compelled to offer all glory to him who is worthy. So where do we land with this strange story, which at least on the surface, seems like an unfair parable. Well, I think it's pretty clear that Jesus is showing us how his kingdom really is. It's a kingdom where he offers us grace, purpose, dignity, and forgiveness to all who are willing. He's not so much concerned with what we think we are doing for him as our willingness... To be and availability to him. He provides everything that we need, and in that any glory that we might receive is rightfully his anyway. So just like the disciples, Jesus wants us to understand that his kingdom is not what we expect. And It is by his grace that we are given what we don't deserve. Let's pray. Father, it is so hard for us to understand the depths of your grace towards us. And this parable of the workers sounds so unfair to our jealous and ungrateful hearts. Help us to see your generosity towards us. Help us to de- develop a kingdom perspective to celebrate your grace to all, even those that we might think don't deserve it. We recognise that we are also beneficiaries of that grace. We need our hearts to change so that we are standing Ready and willing, wanting to be called by you into the vineyard. Help us never to forget that it's your Son and our Saviour Jesus that offers us grace and deserves all the glory. Amen.